0: Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Monday, April 18th, and this is your FT News Briefing. We're going to hear about long COVID in the workplace, something employers are starting to pay attention to. And do you remember Greensill Capital? The sprawling financial group unraveled last year. One of our reporters who investigated the company and its founder, Lex Greensill, is back on the show for an update and other thoughts.
1: I think he had a slick pitch around quite a complicated thing and and people were sort of bamboozled by it and and didn't want to put their hand up and go, wait a minute.
0: I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Many people who have caught COVID recover and then go on with their lives. But an estimated 100 million people worldwide suffer from something called long COVID. It's when symptoms, either physical or cognitive or both, last 12 weeks or more. And it affects people's ability to do their jobs. Delphine Strauss is our economics correspondent. She's been reporting on how long COVID is affecting the workforce. Hi, Delphine. Hi there. Delphine, did you speak to anyone with long COVID? And if you did, what were their experiences like?
2: We spoke to several people who had quite different experiences. There were some people who two years on are saying that, you know, they might leave the house once a week for a short walk around the block. That doesn't stop them working from home, but it makes it extremely difficult as workplaces reopen to go back to what they were doing before. And then there were other people who said... They actually had no fatigue and sort of fewer physical symptoms, but much more lasting cognitive effects with memory and concentration and so on, which might mean that they, you know, for example, had to be really careful about planning a long phone call because that would drain away the energy from other tasks they needed to do in the day.
0: So in the article you wrote, Delphine, you, you say that policymakers think long COVID is actually contributing to the labor shortages in the U.S. and the U.K. Is it, is it really that serious?
2: So this is really uncertain at the moment. What we know from surveys of people who were the most seriously affected by COVID initially, and also surveys of those who went on to develop long COVID, is that a significant proportion have left work, cut their hours, changed job, or they're in other ways struggling. A lot of that is under the radar. People don't necessarily tell their employer because they're worried it'll affect their position. And and quite a few of them may be muddling through as long as they're able to work from home but then finding it's harder when they have to go back in person. And there are also surveys showing that our em- employers are increasingly seeing it as an issue. So a, a quarter of companies in the UK say it's now one of the main causes of long-term sickness absence, which means it's equivalent to anxiety and depression and some other mental health issues.
0: So then how are companies handling this if, if they do see it as a problem?
2: It's very varied. So I've spoken to consultants who are you know, advising big companies on this and they say that some multinationals are taking it very seriously indeed. They're worried about the long-term effects on productivity, not just in the developed countries we've been talking about, but you know throughout their global workforce in emerging markets that were very hard hit by COVID, so in Brazil and India and so on. It's certainly a huge issue for the NHS in the UK. Uh, we've seen that health workers are disproportionately likely to have developed long COVID. The NHS has been developing policies to try and help retain these people, but All of this doesn't necessarily translate into good practice on the ground. There are lots of reports, even in the NHS, from doctors and nurses who found it hard to go back to work because they weren't given the flexibility they needed.
0: Delphine Strauss is the FT's economics correspondent. Thanks, Delphine.
2: Thanks very much, Mark.
0: One of the biggest financial scandals the FT has exposed over the past couple of years is the story of Greensill Capital. It was a British-Australian company that specialized in supply chain finance, that's the financing between companies and their suppliers. After the FT revealed Greensill's shaky business model, one of the group's big backers, Credit Suisse, froze billions of the company's assets, and Greensill began to unravel. As this was happening early last year, we talked to one of the reporters on the story, Rob Smith. He's back today as we check in on Greensill. Hey, Rob. Hi, Mark. Okay, so I want to start with a clip of Greensill's founder, Lex Greensill. He was talking up the company on Bloomberg TV back in May 2019, and it was right after the company received $800 million in funding from the big tech investor SoftBank. I'm going to play right now.
1: The reality is that we've harnessed technology, um, our AI-driven uh, delivery of, uh, of finance plus the capital markets to deliver credit to over 8 million customers around the world over the, uh, over the last eight years. <laughs> it's very funny because obviously, yeah, so at that point he bagged the big investments from, from SoftBank's vision fund. Um, which is one of the biggest investors in technology around the world. So he was having to give a sort of technological sheen to the company. Mm-hmm. You know, you heard him there talking about AI and machine learning and all this stuff. But the thing was, there wasn't really any technology at Greensill. It was, It was a lot of risky lending sort of dressed up as something sexy, I guess would be the easy way of describing it. He was supposed to do something quite boring, which is invoice finance. Which is when you, you know, a company has an invoice saying it needs payment, he would lend you money before you got the payment and then he'd be repaid when the invoice got paid. But the thing was, like, instead of using AI and machine learning to do all this, he was basically doing a load of stuff that wasn't really linked to the invoices at all. And then as we kind of unraveled at the FT, for some of his key clients, so particularly a guy called Sanjeev Gupta, who's a big metals magnet, um, we got our hands on some of the invoices. And we we called some of the companies named on them, and they said, well, we've never even done business with this guy, mm-hmm. Sanjeev Gupta. And yeah, Sanjeev Gupta is now under investigation by the Serious Fraud Office in the UK to sort of give you an idea of how serious it all is. Rob,
0: did, did you know at the beginning of your investigation that so much of Greensill's business was, was mm-hmm. bogus?
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember actually, so Paul Murphy is our, he's the head of the investigations team here, and he, he led... Um, or he was behind the scenes leading the Wirecard Scandal Coverage too with Dan McCrum. But I remember talking to him about this in 2019, and he said, um, he had a great phrase where he said, the thing about houses of cards is they tend to look like houses of cards, Um, which which I just thought was a wonderful uh, phrase. And yes, this did look like a massive house of cards, and so it proved to be.
0: And you know, Rob, the amazing thing is that Greensill didn't just sweet talk Regular investors, he got former UK Prime Minister David Cameron on board as an advisor. I mean, how do you think Lex Greensill was able to, you know, kind of pull the wool over the eyes of so many people?
1: Yeah, so I think there's a there's a few things going on. So like, there's a thing around complexity, right, where. A lot of the things that Greens were doing were quite niche bits of finance. And it's not an area that's well known even to a lot of people in finance, right? And then he was combining it with insurance. He sort of told investors in these like invoice backed sort of investment products that they were super safe because of the underlying insurance. And when you meld the two together, and give it this kind of tech sheen, you know, you've got a very complex proposition and, and people don't tend to like to say like, hang on, I don't quite understand that you know Mm -hmm. people just like to go oh yeah okay yeah I guess that figures yeah nobody
0: likes to feel stupid I mean nobody
1: likes to feel stupid people don't like asking difficult questions so I I think he had a slick pitch around quite a complicated thing and and people were sort of bamboozled by it and and didn't want to put their hand up and go wait a minute
0: first of all excellent use of the word bamboozle love it (laughs) Um, fast forwarding to today what kind of shape is green capital in and where is Lex Greensill?
1: Well, yeah, those are two very good questions. So, like, so in terms of what shape Greensill Capital in, so it, it filed for administration, which is like the UK version of bankruptcy. Right. It, had, it had a German bank, which has done the same uh, and is also under criminal investigation, its management are. So that's not great. But in terms of like all this money Green sort had of lent out and it wrapped into these investment products, as I said, Credit Suisse was a big investor. So so when it collapsed, there were nearly $18 billion of this stuff outstanding. And there's still about $9 billion unpaid to this day. Just an, a, a massive amount of money. Mind boggling. It's actually far higher than I would have guessed when the company collapsed. And then the other key thing is I keep explaining about how insurance was really important important to the model, Greensill's one of its main insurers in Japan has just publicly accused it of fraudulent misrepresentations Yeah, and it said it's not going to pay out on any of the insurance as a result. So this is really bad for people like Credit Suisse who are hoping to claim on these insurance claims to make up their losses. Um, So there's going to be a massive fight there. Credit Suisse has said it could take five years now to recover some of this money because it's going to have to basically sue this insurance firm. And then in terms of where Lex himself is, well, he's he's been keeping a low profile. Like he, he, he lives up in Cheshire in the north of England in a very nice house. I guess it will be interesting to see if he tries to relaunch a new venture, right? It, I think this has been a a theme of these kind of frauds and alleged frauds and big scandals. Is You think these people will never come back from it, but give it a few years, and they always seem to pop up with some kind of new project, new venture, sort of soul 2.0. So... I I guess it will be interesting if in five years Greensill be on TV again talking about AI and machine learning and how it's revolutionizing some other weird bit of finance that not many people know about.
0: Rob Smith is the FT's Capital Markets Correspondent. Thanks, Rob. Thanks. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news.